chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. If you, if you would do that, it's important because ultimately, as you know, uh, it's, it's not it's certainly not my words. It is are my words in keeping with, with the Word of God. So there may be a, maybe some Bibles in the foyer if you need one. Revelation chapter 13. Now why this? Why Revelation 13? Here's, here's been my thinking, okay? So uh, many of most of you know that our most recent series has been Daniel chapters 1 through 6. That's what we said at the beginning that the series was going to be, even though there's 12 chapters in Daniel, that it was going to be chapters 1 through 6. So my thinking has been that uh, we would continue the book of Daniel go beyond that series, because as I just said, there's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. Everybody recognizes it. It it does go together, but 1 through 6 is kind of different than 7 through 12 in the book of Daniel. And uh, I'd like to do, uh, Lord willing, maybe we'll have to jettison it if (laughs) it's going bad or if I'm getting apples thrown at me or whatever. But my thinking is um, a new series on Daniel 7 through 12 and Revelation. Now, let me be clear, not the whole book of Revelation, uh, themes from the book of Revelation, but if you're looking for one word, one word might be apocalyptic, apocalyptic, uh, which by the way, as one man has pointed out in, you know, in Revelation 12, you actually find an apocalyptic Christmas story. So if you're looking for one word, apocalyptic, Revelation and Daniel chapter 7 through 12, but, but certainly not all of Revelation. Okay, and we'll notice one theme today. One of the things I want to do is to is to help us to see that we shouldn't be uh, put off by the book of Revelation, that we shouldn't think, oh, you know, that's just, you know, that's just too tough. I just don't go there. Now, I'm not saying it's all completely easy. That's not what I'm saying. But I do want us to see as we look at some of these sermons. That in many ways, this is for Christians today. And that's. There's just some very common themes, like the one that we're going to see today. So, Revelation chapter 13, last book in the Bible. Of course, you know that. Hopefully, you've got that open there. Let's pray together. Lord, again, thank you for this gathering. Thank you that we have been able to pray to you already. You are worthy. You are holy, holy, holy. We thank you that we can come and even by the Spirit and through Jesus Christ even say, Abba, Father. Lord, would you help us now? Lord, grant that that I would preach your word, that we would hear. Lord, help us not to be those who hear but don't really hear. Lord, help us to hear. Open your word to us. We would see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so I've told you kind of what we're aiming to do with with the Lord's help. Maybe it's crazy. I don't know. Revelation 13, verse 1. Look there with me. And I saw a beast 
rising out of the sea. Kids, get this imagery. With ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Revelation 13.3, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now skip down with me to verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Notice the last verse of the chapter. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, Many of you know the name of, even though he's the co-founder of Nike, he might be the most well-known. He's technically the co-founder, but he's famous. Uh, Many of you know his name. His name's Phil Knight. And the story of Phil Knight, excuse me, and Nike, of course, the shoe company, is one, like, like many, uh, that didn't start out as a massive, massive success right out of the gate. A lady named Abigail Stevenson writes this. Early on, Nike's billionaire co-founder, Phil Knight, had people telling him he wouldn't make it. Yet despite the haters, he still, still steered, still steered Nike to become the world's number one athletic shoe company with a brand so powerful it can be recognized by a check mark. I've had a lot of people tell me, we think he's not going to make it, Knight said. He always knew he could fail. He knew he could fail, but his optimistic outlook helped him persevere, he said. Any adversity that was thrown at them, they knew they could overcome. In 1963, Knight co-founded Nike under the name Blue Ribbon Sports with a $500 investment from his former track coach, Bill Bowerman. He made his first sales by going to track meets and selling the shoes from the trunk of his Plymouth Valiant. As of August 4th, at the time of this article by Abigail Stevenson, Forbes estimated his net worth at $23.9 billion. That's pretty impressive. Phil Knight. He said, a lot of people were naysayers, a lot of people didn't think we could make it, they were were right, there was obviously a chance, he said, in the midst of adversity, we persevered. Now listen, it's one thing to have just a general human story about perseverance, but what I want to speak about this morning, and again, what I want us to see is that the book of Revelation actually, in many ways, in many ways, is not so mystifying, is not so crazy or untouchable 
We want to see this morning that theme. This is the theme, perseverance. We want to see that in, in, the, in the whole book of Revelation. We want to see it in the whole book of Revelation briefly, but also in one particular passage, okay? The theme of perseverance. There's a modern hymn. Love music, hymns. There's a modern hymn that says this, almost home. We're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost home. Don't drop a single anchor. We're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have gone before us, have have before us gone? No stopping now. We're almost home. Let's think about perseverance this morning. As I say, from the book of Revelation and also from this passage, two headings, two headings. The second heading is perseverance. The first heading, if you're taking notes on paper or in your mind, the first heading is Revelation 13, 1 through 10. Okay? Revelation 13, 1 through 10. The theme, the theme is perseverance. The title for the sermon is the beast. Okay? The first heading, heading number one, Revelation 13, 1 through 10. Even though we read part of the other part of the chapter for context, the title of the sermon is The Beast, and that's that's what we learn about here in the first 10 verses. Right? You notice when we read the second half of the chapter, it's talking about the, the second beast. So this is the first beast, or just we're just gonna say the beast, okay? Look again at Revelation. Look at the Bible. Look at the Word of God. 13.1. See what it says. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. You might underline that word blasphemous. It's going to appear a good many times here. And the beast that I saw, John says, John, you know, he wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's a lot of the New Testament. And so John, when he says the beast I saw, it's John, was like a leopard. I'm thinking of one particular artist that we have in the church. I wonder what she would make of this picture here. Uh, A leopard, its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Stop there in the middle of verse 2. Let me just say something that for now will be totally inadequate. I'm on, on purpose. I'm not going to elaborate, but let me just say for now, this is, this is borrowing specifically from the Old Testament, okay? That's just totally inadequate. I have a reason for stopping and saying that, but this, this, this description of the beast so far, the description of the beast is clearly borrowing from the Old Testament, all right? So I think... Good chance that these readers, these original recipients, would have had some of that knowledge. The best way to to understand the New Testament is to know your whole Bible. We'll go back to the beginning of verse 1. Remember our first heading is Revelation 13, 1 through 10, titled The Beast of the Sermon. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Look back at the end of chapter 12. 
What does it say at the very end, at the very end of verse 17, like the last sentence of chapter 12? Do you see that? What does it say? It says, and he stood on the sand of the sea. Who stood on the sand of the sea? Get this picture with me. Uh, most of us have had the opportunity. God's creation is so wonderful. His nature so grateful. Most of us have had the opportunity to be at the ocean, to be at the shore, to stand on the beach, to look out at the vast expanse of water as far as your eye can see, to breathe in the, the salt Salt water, the air. So if you get this picture at the end of chapter 12, do you see? At the end of chapter 12, at the beginning of chapter 13, we've just left off uh, with, with the dragon, who, by the way, chapter 12 makes very clear is who is Satan, is the devil, okay? Dragon, Satan, the devil, he's on the, he's on the sand of the sea, and it's almost as though, it's almost as though he's conjuring up, do you see, this beast, from the, from the waters. By the way, back in chapter 13, verse 1, if we know our Bibles, again, if we know our Bibles, if we know the Old Testament, then we would know that the sea represents chaos and evil. In the Bible, the sea represents chaos and evil. That's why when the Lord Jesus Christ makes all things new, there's no more sea. Behold, I am making all things new. There will be no more chaos or evil. There will be nothing else that pretends to come up against the power of God. The sea in the Bible represents chaos and evil. The beast here, it's as though he's being conjured up by the dragon who is Satan, who is the devil. And where does the beast come from? Well, he comes from the abyss. He comes from the sea. He comes from the realm of chaos and evil. John says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Look back in the middle of verse 2 where we left off originally. And to it, now don't answer out loud, but if you're following along with me, you know that, right? Who's the it? To it, to the beast, right? The dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Stop for just a moment. Who is this beast? Or as the question has been asked, uh, is, the, uh, is the beast here? We know he's the first beast. Is he the Antichrist? Is he the Antichrist with a capital A? And, and you may say, well, we're in this book of Revelation and now you're kind of losing me what, talking about this Antichrist. Don't get lost. It's really simple, right? Antichrist, you, you may be an expert on the Antichrist, or you may say, well, don't lose me here. Antichrist, Antichrist right? Uh, against Christ, in the place of Christ. And, and the word is not used here. Uh, it's not even used in the book of Revelation, actually, Antichrist, which is interesting. But is, is this beast, is he or it, is, is it the Antichrist? Is it this uh, this man near the end of history who is animated by Satan and who is the very embodiment of evil? And I, I say the answer is is yes. The answer is yes, as long as we understand what the Bible teaches about the Antichrist. You don't have to go there, but let me just read to you this important passage: First John two eighteen. Listen to this. 1 John 2.18, children, children, it is the last hour. 
Friends, he wrote this so long ago. First John, he says, the last hour then. Children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, 1 John 2.18, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And the thing I just want to make sure we know from that verse, from 1 John 2.18, hear it again. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming. You've heard from 2 Thessalonians that there is such a man at the end of history who is the Antichrist. But John says, just be sure that in your definition of Antichrist, that you also have plenty of room for the fact that in this life here and now, there are many Antichrists. There is the spirit of Antichrist. So now many Antichrists have come. And by the way, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, 1 John 4, 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. You know, the book of Revelation, I would I would say to you, does it have something to say about the future? Well, clearly, we would all, I think, by default say yes. But as we say, yes, it has something to say about the future. Did you know the book of Revelation has something to say to Christians in the here and now? Did you know that it had something to say to the original recipients? Did you know, in other words, that it's not just about them then, but it's about us now? This clearly has to do in this original context, this clearly has to do with the Roman Empire. With the Roman Empire, or we might say with the state. And here's the payoff for these people who originally received Revelation John's original audience. Would they pledge, listen, would they pledge their allegiance to the state? Or would they pledge their allegiance and continue to pledge their allegiance to God through Christ. This is the application for the original recipients. Notice in verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? If you actually look at the big picture, there is an unholy trinity. There is a counterfeit trinity. You have, of course, the true trinity. There is one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you have this counterfeit trinity, which is the dragon, the first beast, and the second beast. And if you'll notice in verse 3, he mimics and he counterfeits Christ. What is Antichrist? It's, it's Antichrist, Right? Notice in verse 3, he, he is the counterfeit specifically of the resurrection of Christ. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. If you, if you study this, you'll see that the language is exactly like the same language in Revelation as Christ's death and resurrection. The same words are used about this wound and about this healed, about Christ's death and resurrection. This is clearly meant to be this person, this 
this empire. It's meant to signify this death and resurrection. Wow, look at that. Wow, that's impressive. That's supernatural. That's miraculous, which leads to verse 4, worship. And it talks in the book of Revelation about sexual immorality, which always doesn't mean the sexual immorality we think of. It means idolatry. And so you have a counterfeit resurrection in verse 3, and you have counterfeit worship in verse 4, because again, if we know our whole Bibles, at the end of verse 4, when all the people are saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? That's out of the Old Testament. That's reserved language for Yahweh. You know, who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord our God? Who is a pardoning God like you? But here they're saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? In verse 5, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Let me step back for just a moment. So we're saying that this, this does represent Antichrist as long as we understand First John. There's not just one Antichrist at the end. The Roman Empire at this particular time was Antichrist. When you say the Roman Empire, you're talking about the state. Let me be very careful, but let me say, let me carefully say that the same is true today. The same thing, listen, around the world, will believers, will believers pledge allegiance to the state or will they persevere and pledge their allegiance to Christ even when the state comes against believers? Because in many ways, the beast here represents the state, represents the Roman Empire, Coming against believers, will believers give way and pledge their allegiance to the state? And, and you say, wait a minute, well, isn't the state ordained by God? Romans 13, yes, the state is ordained by God. But when the state starts acting in the place of God, and when the state starts acting as God, that's a different story. The state is ordained by God, but when the state starts acting like God, that's a different story. And that's when the people of God become persecuted. And so it's actually not a different application for us. When the state takes the place of God and seeks to persecute and seeks to rule your life in every way, in an anti-God way, will we persevere? Notice here we're still at the beginning of the new year. Think about this. It's January the 16th. Notice the control of God over all things. Would you just notice the control of God over all things? Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed. You see, it was allowed. And verse 7, also it was allowed. Somebody who has inherent authority, that's not what you say about them. You see, that's what you say about God. God allows. The devil is God's devil. 
Satan is not God's counterpart. He is God's counterfeit. The beast is not Christ's counterpart. He is Christ's counterfeit. He is allowed in tandem with the dragon to conquer. But the saints will conquer through Jesus Christ ultimately. Notice that God is in control of everything. Notice, most importantly, that God is in control of salvation. Please see this. This is not our hobby horse. This is what the Bible says, verse 8. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. What? Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Is that you? Is that you? In verse 8. Is your name, has it been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain? There's only one who had a true resurrection after being wounded, mortally wounded, slain. The book doesn't even exist unless Jesus dies in the place of sinners. Jesus died in your place so that if you will repent of your sins and believe in him, your sins will be forgiven and you will have eternal life with God. God is in control of salvation. He is in control of his people. I wish I could elaborate. I will not do it. I wish I could elaborate about what it says in verse 8 at the beginning. And all who dwell on earth. Let me just tell you, that's actually a, a technical phrase throughout the book of Revelation. Earth dwellers. Earth dwellers. You find that all who dwell, you find it here in chapter 13, no fewer than three times. You find it in Revelation 3.10, Revelation 3.10 and Revelation 17.2. Earth dwellers, who are earth dwellers? It's just, the, it's just Revelation's way of saying unbelievers. This book's not crazy hard. Earth dwellers, unbelievers, unbelievers, and then you've got those who are purchased by the lamb who was slain. They're purchased by the death of Christ on the cross. He shed his blood and died in our place, bearing the wrath of God. He rose from the dead. And everyone who is a true follower of Jesus Christ is so ultimately because of predestination, because your name was written in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Revelation 13, 1 through 10. Second and more brief, perseverance. Perseverance. And here we look briefly at the book of Revelation and at our text. Listen to what Don Carson says. Uh, do you know Don Carson at all? He's a gentle guy. So if you get offended by the thing he says here at the end, he's, he's a gentle guy. Christians used to write books on how to die well. Christians used to write books on how to die well. Their great prayer was that in their declining hours, when their minds were going and they were no longer in control, they would not say anything that would bring shame on the cross. Do you ever hear Christians pray like that today? What's he saying? Do you ever hear Christians pray like, God, help me. If I go senile, or if I don't go senile, if I just, just old age and I just don't always know what I'm doing. 
Here's my prayer, God, that I wouldn't bring shame on the cross. He says, their prayer today is more likely to be, give me another shot of morphine so that I don't have to suffer. My my friends, when we're talking about perseverance here in the book of Revelation, and I want to show it to you in our text. We're talking about perseverance. We're not we're not talking here about starting off with a $500 loan and selling tennis shoes or sneakers, whatever you call them. My wife and I disagree about what to call them. We're not talking about selling them out of the trunk of your car and you persevere through adversity. I mean, that's really impressive. It is impressive. We're talking about Christian perseverance here. And if you're talking about Christian perseverance, listen to me, listen. In the book of Revelation, you're talking about perseverance in the midst of and through suffering. And really what this says today is the same thing that Philippians 1.29 says. It's been granted to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. In God's sovereignty, you're a Christian because of Jesus Christ. You believe because of Jesus. And in different ways, Christians around the world have the privilege of suffering. In different ways, Christians around the world, listen, for these, for this original audience, it was under the wicked Roman Empire. It's not to say that every single person in the empire was wicked. It's not to say that every single leader in the empire was wicked, but the Roman Empire was antichrist. The Roman Empire is the state and state after state after state through church history assumes the role of God. And the state is, on the one hand, ordained by God, and when it assumes the role of God, that is a different story. Friends, think about our friends in Canada right now. Think about, if you've, if you've looked into this, I haven't studied it in great depth, but think about this whole issue of conversion therapy that's going on in Canada. Think about the, the subtle silencing of the pulpits of the churches in Canada with this issue of conversion therapy. Not able to speak openly, unless they're bold and doing what they should be, God help them humbly, about biblical sexuality. No, when we're talking about perseverance, we're not talking about feel night, feel night. We're talking about Christian perseverance. And in this context, it's in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 9. Look at Revelation 13, 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Jesus used to say that. Listen up. That's not me saying that. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. You know, that's the exact definition of being an earth dweller. You don't hear the truth. You hear everything. You hear the Roman Empire. You hear everything in the modern state. And you say, I worship the beast. But he says, John says in verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10, what is this? If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. You don't have to be a scholar to look at verse 10. By the way, it's rooted in Jeremiah. And it's saying, you're going to suffer persecution and you're going to die. Not because you're a sinner, but because you're righteous through Jesus Christ. Do you see that? We've already seen at the end of verse 8 how God is sovereign over salvation. We've already seen that Satan is God's Satan. The devil is God's devil. The beast is God's beast. And now we see here in verse 10, 
God's sovereign plan for his people around the world. Oh, wake up. We all need to wake up and see that for so many of God's people, his sovereign plan includes their death or their persecution. Do you see that in verse 10? And so all of this is building to the last sentence of verse 10. All of it. The revelation is not meant for us so that we can study prophecy charts and just talk about knowledge. And I have this view and you have this view. It's practical. And all of it's building to this point, this last sentence of verse 10, all of this talk about the beast, about the Antichrist, about the Roman Empire, it all terminates right here. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. To be forewarned, as said before, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And what is the book? Remember I said apocalyptic? What is revelation? It's an unveiling. Let me use this seemingly, seemingly crazy imagery to show you what's really going on in the world. You think what's really going on in the world is this power and this power and these things happening on the political stage. But let me pull the curtain open and show you what is actually happening in the world At the beginning, even of 2022, he says, oh, I love you. He says, my dear readers, I want to tell you about the beast. And I want to issue this call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And I'm just going to let the scripture, multiple scriptures, and if you would go with me, this will be super quick, and and this is how we end. You just mark 1310. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Oh, my friend, persevere this year. God will preserve his people. That's the rock. God will preserve his people. We persevere by grace. You could look at 1217. That would be a great place to look. 1217. 1412. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. 1412. 1615. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Boys and girls, don't be found naked. It says, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. 1714. Hey, I know the word perseverance isn't in these verses, but the main idea in these verses is perseverance. 17, 14, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Chapter 21, verses seven through eight. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Please hear that. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation 22, 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And verse 14. Blessed 
are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Wash your robe, wash your robe in the blood of Jesus Christ even today. Let's pray together. Lord, help us in this new study, apocalyptic, as we see you have through Daniel and through John, you have opened the curtain to see what is real reality, to see true reality in this world. God, help us through the Holy Spirit. Lead us as a church in all humility and faithfulness through Jesus Christ. Thank you for this gathering today. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you.